Hey everyone, this is Rumble, and uh, I'm Michael Moore. This is my podcast, and this is episode number 60, 60. Thank you, all of you who've been listening since uh, the middle of December. Uh, it, uh, it's a great honor, and I have enjoyed hearing from you. And in this episode, I'm going to keep it uh, kind of brief uh, here today. I'm posting this just after midnight on April 2nd. I have a few thoughts I'd like to share with you as they relate to what is going on right now. And then I'll, I'll let you go and feel free to let me know what you think. It was a week ago this past Tuesday, last week, uh, Tuesday of, of last week, that a man by the name of Kios Kali passed away. Kios was a nurse at Mount Sinai West Hospital in Manhattan. Mount Sinai West is the new name of an old hospital, St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital. Uh, this was the, I think this hospital is probably mostly known by, especially New Yorkers, as the hospital where John Lennon was taken after he was shot, where uh, the ambulance and, uh, and Yoko rode there, and they wheeled him in, tried to save him, but couldn't. It sits over on 10th Avenue right at the place where 10th Avenue becomes Amsterdam Avenue, 59th Street. Kios was an assistant nurse manager there, and he's believed to be the the first nurse to die during this uh, pandemic here in New York City. A number of nurses and doctors have passed away in the 10 days since Kios died. Kios grew up in Lansing, Michigan. He went to Lansing Everett High School, which is where Magic Johnson went to high school. He came to New York City after he graduated from Butler University in Indiana, came here in the hopes of being a dancer. He loved dance and he wanted to break in to the dance community and dance theater here in New York, and he did uh, for some time. But, you know, any kind of um, theater here is difficult. It's a lot of competition. And um, many good people uh, decide that at some point it's time to move on to something else. And in his case, he decided that he wanted to dedicate the, his life to helping people who were sick. And so uh, he went to NYU nursing school and uh, graduated at the age of 40 years old and um, ended up at uh, Mount Sinai West, St. Luke's Roosevelt. That's the hospital last week where you saw that the, because there's no protective gear that they'd run out, that the nurses um, had resorted to taking garbage bags and using that as their gowns, their protective gowns putting a hole in the head of the garbage bag and putting it over themselves to protect themselves. Because we had warning for this. Kios probably didn't have to die. He was 48 years old. But for months, um, the problem was ignored. The story this past week about how uh, the incoming president back in the January of 2017 
the Pentagon informed both the outgoing president, Barack Obama, and um, the incoming president, Donald J. Trump, that the likelihood of a coronavirus taking hold here as an epidemic in the U.S. was a very likely possibility in the coming years. And they presented um, Barack Obama on January 6th of 2017 with this information, which he then shared, or should we say tried to share, with the incoming team, with Trump, but um, they weren't really interested. They didn't want to have meetings. Um, They would say they'd show up to a meeting with the outgoing administration officials, and then they wouldn't just show up. They just didn't care. If you remember, Steve Bannon was very eager to, as he said in his words, dismantle the administrative state. Not the deep state, not the, you know, not the conspiracy theory stuff. He just wanted to dismantle the administrative state. The administrative state, in other words, the glue that holds together and runs the government, the government that's supposed to protect us, the government that provides us our services, the, the government, us, we, the people, of, by, and for the people. They weren't interested in the coronavirus report from the Pentagon in 2017. This past December, when the first outbreak um, was occurring in China, the intelligence community, again, tried to sit down with the president, the vice president, anybody that would listen, to tell them just how serious this virus was. They'd seen nothing like it before. The human body had never seen anything like it before. The human body had no way, no idea of how to rebel against the attack from this virus. The warnings were ignored. And this went on into January. Some of, some of Trump's first comments about this. Let me just give you just a, the brief run. I'm sure you don't need to be reminded of this. Uh, you, you saw it. You lived it. It was uh, just the last couple of months. But let me just, you know, I'll just give you the, just a few quotes here. This is, this is all the way back in January, January 22nd. This is Trump talking on CNBC, referring to the coronavirus, quote, we have it under control. It's going to be just fine. That's January 22nd, February 2nd. This is Trump on Fox News. We pretty much shut it down coming in from China. February 2nd, he'd shut it down. It's no longer coming in from China. On February 28th, Trump called the coronavirus stories the Democrats, quote, new hoax at a rally in South Carolina. South Carolina, a state he won big back in 2016, and a state today, tonight, as we record this here on April 2nd, a state that still will not issue a stay-at-home order. One of a number of states, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Arkansas, most of Texas, South Carolina, (laughs) 
March 15th. Here's a quote from March 15th. So this is really just a couple weeks ago. Trump said that this is a very contagious virus, but it's something we have tremendous control of. Two days ago on Tuesday, Trump stood at the microphone in the White House uh, press room and in a very sober tone admitted that at least 100,000, between 100,000 and 240,000 Americans are going to die in the next few weeks. He said it was a good thing because had he not taken the decisive action that he's taken over the last couple of months, it would be, the death rate would be between 1.6 and 2.2 million. But thanks to his aggressive action, um, only 100,000 to 240,000, about a quarter million people are going to die. Of course, there has been no action. There was no aggressive action. He called it a hoax. He said it was politics on the part of the Democrats. He said this whole, this all this virus talk was the media, the media making it up, fake news, trying to bring him down with a bad story, trying to hurt the economy, the great economy that, that he had helped build. Caius Kelly didn't need to die. As I record this, hospitals across the country, last night, this morning, have reported that they have now run out. They have run out of protective gear. On Monday of this week, the Washington Post reports that 280 million face masks were shipped out of the U.S. to other countries that need them. Now, on one level, you might say, well, we're very generous people. In the time of pandemic, when we don't have the equipment for ourselves, we share it with others. But of course, that's not what's going on. It's about capitalism, and it's about not interrupting the free market, making a buck. It's why, it's why these companies, the companies, some of these ones that are building the ventilators are trying to gouge the government. They're trying to make off like bandits. I don't know how this is even legal. I'm, I'm t- seriously, the people that would hold up production or would or uh, would would charge so much for these things that the government either doesn't or can't afford it, um, the, and and every day that goes by, literally tens of thousands of people are going to die in this next month or so because because of these companies and their profit motive. I swear to God, if I were president. At the end of this, when we're through this pandemic, I'd arrest all these, all these motherfuckers. I'd arrest every single one of them. And I would not line them up in front of the firing squad because I don't believe in that as a solution to anything. But I would find an island somewhere off the coast of Maine, somewhere off the coast of Washington, state of Washington, and I'd put them all there. Separate them from the rest of us. They've cost people their lives. And this president, the Boston Globe's editorial yesterday, Donald Trump, quote, has blood on his hands. That's absolutely correct. You know, Dr. Fauci stood there and he, Trump, I'm sure hated every second of this, 
telling people that we could lose up to a quarter of a million people in the next few weeks. But the very next day, uh, Zeke Emanuel, the doctor who spent all the years there at the NIH and now is at uh, Penn, he went on TV and told an even greater truth that had Trump acted when he was given the warning, it doesn't mean that the virus wouldn't have been here. It doesn't mean that people wouldn't have died. But he said the, the dead that we'd be talking about was, would be maybe, and this is still a, a sad number, would be maybe 50,000 people. But then he went on to say that because Trump is still not nationalizing the supply system to get these things to the doctors and to the hospitals that need the equipment, that need the medical supplies, that need the protective gear, that as a result of that, that other number, 1.6 to 2.2 million, could be a more likely number. And Emmanuel used the word sugarcoat. And he's not one to want to, you know, criticize Dr. Fauci. Everybody knows the situation that Fauci's in. We don't want Trump to behead him. But um, but he said that was a sugarcoating, saying a quarter of a million is our is what we think is going to happen. No. No, this is, and this is a virus. This is an epidemic. This is a pandemic that's going to last a long time. The, the, the curve we're on now, one of the models shows the dying going into July. Another one the, the, from that um, organization that's funded by Bill Gates shows the, the, the peak happening and then it sort of comes down and then it goes steady all the way through the summer maybe into the fall of people dying. I sat there and I thought, we're not getting out of our house here anytime soon. Not this month, not next month, not June, maybe July, probably September, longer. What if we, what if we don't have the break that we think we're going to get between the first wave and the second wave? All because of this guy and the one guy has held everything up. When is he to be removed? It's not going to happen, is it? The generals aren't going to go in and take him out of there. The cabinet isn't, isn't going to declare the 25th Amendment and take a vote. It's not going to happen. I wonder if... If enough, if, an, if enough people, maybe the right people, not me, obviously, would appeal to Trump to step aside. Step aside. Somebody can show him how his legacy is going to end up, how he's going to be written up in the history books, but that by stepping aside, acknowledging that he just is not capable of doing this and let somebody who is capable of doing it run the show. I mean, come on, at the very least, wouldn't we give him that as, as, as much as we'd still have to put him on trial for the tens, or not, if not hundreds of thousands who are going to die as a result of his incompetence, his inaction, his arrogance? At the very least, what if he just tomorrow just said, look, I'm 72 years old. I, don't, I can't handle this. We need to bring in somebody else. No one would fault him for that. We would applaud him, right, folks? Right, everybody? Please say yes. We're trying to save some lives here. If you didn't have a chance to see Rachel Maddow um, last night, um, 
so that would have been well, yeah Wednesday night. Um, she did a twenty-eight minute monologue, no interruption. It was brilliant. Um, I'm sure MSNBC has it posted. If, if I if it's up already, I'll 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 put it here on the links with on the uh, podcast platform page. Uh, if not, look it up yourself and, and just l- listen to it sometime today. Uh, it was just brilliant laying out the situation here and how we got here in the last couple of months and what has to happen. There's it's, the whole thing is such a mess. Even the checks that are supposed to be in the mail, they're they're in the mail to some people. They're going to be direct deposited if you've got that information on your IRS form. But if you don't, it's going to take a lot longer. And it take doesn't take into account this twelve hundred dollars that's supposed to go to every adult, five hundred to every child. It doesn't take it. You have to have filed a tax return for this direct deposit thing to work, either in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. If you were in college in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, you you probably didn't file a tax return. You're not getting a check. Or not anytime soon. If you're on Social Security, you don't file a tax return. There's no check coming to you right now. If if you're poor or you're the working poor and you make just a little bit of money, not enough to file a form, they're going to have to come up with something in the next few days, whether it's a form you're going to fill out online. It's just, people are thinking that they've got money coming and it isn't it isn't quite as easy as they've tried to make it sound. And what about the health insurance? What about everybody's health insurance? If you've lost your job, you've lost your health insurance. What's going on with that? I don't hear anybody talking about that. You re- everybody realizes this, right? Your health insurance is over. It's over. The government has said that if, if you get COVID-19, um, you'll be taken care of, supposedly, free of charge. They want you to know that because they want you to come in and get help. They don't want you spreading the disease. So at least they'll tell you right now that they'll take care of it. Let's just assume they're telling the truth. But that's it. Where's the rest of the health insurance? Where's everybody's health coverage starting in April or May? Nobody's, nobody, nothing in that bill took care of this. This is a huge problem. You're going to have to sign up for Obamacare, except Trump won't let the window reopen, the sign-up period. This is a huge mess. How can uh, how can you deprive a nation of their health insurance during a health pandemic this is just crazy this is day 23 for me in my self quarantine my micotine <laughs> my I know I know I know I yes I'm climbing the same walls you're climbing but I will not leave this apartment I've got my podcast studio here I've got a bed. I have many canned goods, which, by the way, if you know, I, I stopped putting salt in anything, you know, a couple of years ago. It's uh, sodium. I think it's like the worst killer, and uh, so there's the sodium in all these all these canned goods. are just it's just awful. I need, I'm switching over to a different uh, food plan here uh, to get through this because. Um, um, I'm, my, my body's no longer used to sodium, so it's, uh, I have to get rid of it. Oh man. I'll tell you though. I'm really, I'm up and down probably like a lot of you. I'm glad. I'm glad for this podcast. I'm glad that you've made it possible over the years for me to even have the ability to do this, to get through this right now. I don't have to worry about a job right now 
for the next few months like everybody else has to. This is like a, but this place of somewhat, some privilege that I'm in is because of you. I mean, if the only reason I'm sitting here is because over 20, 30 years here, you've gone to the movies to see my movies. I mean, really, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm able to always then make the next film because you've given me the means to do that, to be able to, um, pay the bills and get by. I'm so grateful for that. If you've bought my books, I just, I plow a lot of that into this and my work. I do the political work. I do all that. You've helped to fund all that. Um, so I'm, um, I'm beholden and I'm grateful. And I, um, and so when it comes to a time like this, I just, I, as I was trying to figure out over the weekend what to do when you hadn't heard from me from a couple of days, I was just trying to make some decisions here. And, um, and I decided that, uh, that we would do this on a daily basis for now, at least during this, during this crisis, at least during the weekdays. And maybe, maybe, maybe on the weekend a little bit. We'll see. But um, I thought I would just have to commit to talk. I have to commit to be here for you. I have to commit to do the research and the work and the investigative reporting, whatever else I can do to bring you the truth and to do that on a daily basis and not to give you false hope, but, but to give you a sense of there is a way out of this and there's a way out of this to where we can end up with a better country, with a better society, with a better planet. And if that's my small role in all of this, to be here with you on this daily or nightly basis, um, then that's that's what I'm going to do. So you can count on that. You know, each night, depending on, I mean, there'll, there'll be circumstances that will, on certain days, it will make it shift. But basically, in the mid midnight hour, Eastern time, uh, by midnight usually, um, I'll have up the next day's podcast. And I want you to give me some feedback. I want you to send me some ideas. I, I want you to ask questions and I want you to join with me in this fight. Obviously the first fight is to live, to survive, but the other fight, the other fight is the political fight. It's the democracy fight. It's the fight to come out of this on the other side with Systems that we are going to institute that are going to be about a democratic economy, about doing things the way that they should be done, that we're seeing right we're seeing right now what we need to have we should have done it before. It should be going on right now. We'll make sure it's going to happen. You and me. That's why that's why I'm committed to doing this. I didn't know this would be the position that we'd be in. 60 episodes ago on December 17th, but I'm, I'm all in. I know you are too. The onslaught is here. It's April 2nd. It's a special day for me. My mother, if she were alive, would be 99 years old today. <laughs> I was very, very lucky to have her as a mother. You know, you've heard me talk about her before. Uh, not only was she um, a loving soul, she did things for us kids, my two sisters and myself, 
that um, I think we're still appreciative of to this day. She appreciated knowledge and intelligence, thinking, asking questions, teaching us to read. She taught me to read when I was four years old, before kindergarten, encouraged our writing, all of that, so many more things. Um, someday I'll do, I'll do a podcast on her. Maybe I'll see if my sisters will, will uh, join in on this. We were very lucky. She would have been 99 uh, today. It's also a, a special day for me, just on a personal level. I'm not going to get into it uh, here today. But um, um, 10 years ago on this day, was it was really a very kind of a, you know, you have those days in your life, you know, throughout your lifetime, just those, it's those moments. Sometimes they're just a little moment. Uh, they're, they're not planned. They're accidental at times. And yet all of a sudden it, things turn all of a sudden the switch goes on. And that happened to me 10 years ago today. And it was a beautiful thing. And, um, I look back on it now and I'm full of gratitude and happiness. Life isn't easy. We all know that. Right now, it's not about whether it's easy or hard. It's about, is it, is it going to be life? Are we going to live? Are we going to lose loved ones? I've been listening to your voicemails. Some of them are heartbreaking. I've been receiving your emails. I'm very moved, very moved by it all. Um, I can't tell you how much it means to me to have this connection with you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry for what you're going through. I wish I had a magic wand to just wave over this whole stinking mess. Some of you writing or leaving me messages about how difficult it is just to get through the day. You know people that have been tested positive. You know someone who's died. You're scared to death about your parents, your grandparents. People that you cannot go see right now. People that you know that you may have seen for the last time and the last time you saw them just weeks ago, they are completely fine and healthy and, and then this thing happens. I'm sorry. I am really, really, truly sorry. I know that the burden is difficult to carry. It, I know the anxiety and the fear. Number one comment I get from people, I can't sleep. I can't, I can't sleep. I'm not getting good sleep. I'm with you on the, with some of this too, because I'm, I mean, obviously I'm going through the same thing. I can't tell you how many nights in the last few weeks that, um, if you were to go into my bedroom in the morning, you'd see the bed already made. It's not that I got up and made, made the bed. It's that I didn't sleep in the bed. 
I fell asleep in the chair. I fell asleep on the couch. I fell asleep on the way to the bedroom, trying to get to bed. And I just came into the podcast studio here. And I sleep for three or four hours and... I get up and I think I should go go into the bed now. Let's get, get get a few more hours sleep. But by that time, I'm already up. My mind is racing. I'm listening to the news of the morning, and I'm thinking, "What can I do today? What can I do about this? What is my contribution? What can I do on this podcast with all of you?" There are. Hundreds of thousands of you. I mean, already we're, um, the last time I spoke to you about how many downloads we'd had was 5 million. We're, we're already heading to, we're about 7.5 million downloads right now. This is like, I know how many of you are listening. And I hear, I hear what you're going through. I know how worried you are. Actually, I just um, had this thought here just now as I said that. This little this song, it's something that over the years I would find myself humming to myself just to try to bring some comfort. This, this song has been in my head for most of my life since I was a child. It, it's, um, it's from the movie White Christmas. I know, I know. Um, but, um, you know, seeing that, movie as a kid, Bing Crosby, and Rosemary Clooney, and Danny Kaye. Um, yeah, I just loved it. And uh, it's all this music by Irving Berlin, and all the music in the movie are all Irving Berlin songs that he had written, not for the movie White Christmas, but he'd written before, but they put them all in the song, and it's directed by the director who made Casablanca, and it's, you know, it's, it's a, a movie from the year I was born. So I'll share with you this little thing I, that uh, I only hum or, or sing to myself on on certain occasions and but if it's if this brings you some comfort or or solace uh, right now then good good night when i'm worried and i can't sleep i count my blessings instead of sheep and i fall asleep counting my blessings When my bankroll is getting small I think of when I had none at all And I fall asleep Counting my blessings I think about a nursery And I picture curly heads And one by one I count them as they slumber in their beds. If you're worried and you can't sleep, just count your blessings instead of sheep, and you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. Sing.